It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, welcome back to our study in Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at the calling of God on our life. Now, in the last study together, we were beginning to look at this idea of humility. In other words, if Jesus is our calling, well, then his lifestyle should be evident within our own. And Paul begins to walk through a series of attributes that should be easily identifiable in our life if we're living according to the calling with which we've been called. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, just so it's fresh in our mind. And I want to look very specifically at this idea of humility in today's study. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, in the last study, we were looking at humility in the life of Jesus. The fact that he didn't merely tell us to be humble, he went before us, was the forerunner, and demonstrated a life of humility. But here's the question. What is humility? What does it mean for us to walk in humility? Well, humility is a fascinating quality. Again, Jesus says, this is who I am. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He says, I am humble. But what does that actually mean? The word humble is a rather long (laughs) Greek word, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it's actually two Greek words put together that makes up this idea. One of those words has this idea of not rising from the ground or lowly or low degree. In some some translations, it's kind of actually translated downcast. And then the other word that's kind of put into this word humility is this idea of mind or perceiving or judging. In other words, it's to judge or to see yourself not high, but low off the ground. Uh, Imagine you go to Buckingham Palace and you are going to present yourself before the Queen of England you realize that there are certain protocols that are demanded of you as a mere commoner. And so as you would walk into the throne room of the Queen of England, you would actually take your body position and stoop it low and actually bow down to the ground. And as as so, you're actually saying, look, you are in a position higher and in authority over me. I am like coming low and I'm seeing myself low to the ground. That's actually this idea of humility. Now, what's interesting is this word humility shows up seven times in the New Testament. And as you begin to look at the tone of this, this really is how you and I are called to live. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Could you imagine what it would look like if we actually lived out that passage? That when I looked at you, I, I didn't see, I didn't say, well, you know what? I'm actually better than you are, but I would actually not see, see you out of my own selfishness or conceit or how I can get in front of you. Rather, I would seek to stoop and serve you. In fact, I would see you as more important than myself. That is so backwards from the traditional mindset of an American. Or listen to Colossians chapter three, verse 12. Paul says, So as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I love the fact that there's a lot of the same words in this passage is in our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. But just like you would put on a coat on a rainy or a cold day, Paul says you are to put on, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. That there should be an evidence in your life when someone looks at you just as they can see your clothing, so too they should see these attributes in your life. Obviously, one of those being humility. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5. It's a powerful and profound passage. Peter says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. A couple things to note in the passage. Peter says the reason we should clothe ourselves with humility is because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposed or resist actually means to keep at arm's length. Uh, One other way to understand it is to actually set an entire army against. So when it says that God resists the proud, the idea is he actually pushes. He keeps you at arm length or perhaps more, even more fearful, he sets his army against you. So when you or I walk in pride and arrogance, do you realize that what God is doing is actually setting himself up against us, that he is in opposition to us, that he is literally setting his battle array against us. Now, (laughs) of all the things that I do not want in my own life is to be on the opposite side of God, especially with all of his power and might, let alone his army. So could you imagine what this means? If you and I decide to walk in any ounce of pride, well, then we're actually in opposition with God. Rather, Peter says, speaking of the Old Testament, God always gives grace to those who walk in humility. When when I walk in humility and I see myself low to the ground and I look at God saying, God, I desperately need you. I, I cannot do this on my own. Well, then he gives grace for that. But he literally stands in opposition against those who walk in pride. So Peter says, because of that, you and I are to clothe ourselves with humility. The word clothe means, in the original idea, it was a knot or a band by which two things were fastened together. It's to fasten or to gird oneself. And when you look at that, it was actually speaking of a white scarf or an apron of slaves, which was fastened to the belt or the vest and distinguished slaves from those who were free. And this could also be referring to the overalls, which slaves wore to keep clean, keep themselves clean while working. So think about this. This idea of clothing ourselves with humility was actually a distinguishing mark in the Roman Empire of those who were slaves and those who were free. That if I was a slave, I would only be marked with this clothing of a slave. That I could be walking down the road and someone say, yep, there's a slave. Or nope, that must be a free man. Wouldn't it be interesting if one of the ways that the world knows that you and I are a Christian is because we walk in humility? Jesus told the disciples in the upper room that that the world is to know that we are disciples because we have love one for another. And here's Paul saying, well, not only is it love that marks our lives, but humility, sorry, this is Peter. But Peter is telling us that not only love is marking our life, but humility is to mark our lives. See, what if we were easily identifiable in the world because of our love for one another and our humility? See, those should be distinguished marks, attributes, characteristics in our lives. 
So with that being said, I want to look at a few different concepts related to humility that I find is actually helpful to flesh out. I think sometimes we often look at humility and we have a particular thought of what it is. Again, it's stooping low to the ground, but what does that actually mean practically? So let me talk about humility in light of dependency. I love this idea of dependency. We live in a culture all about independence. And from a governmental system, I love the fact that we have an independent country. So far, we still have it. But dependency is this attitude of, or a realization of, I can't, but he can. It's a trusting, it's a leaning or a throwing ourselves upon his resource. It's a reckon, it's, a, it's a realization that I don't have what it takes. God, I desperately need you. And so I turn my gaze upon him and I throw my faith upon him and I trust his resource in my life. Do you realize that takes overwhelming humility? Now, the opposite of dependency is this idea of self-sourcing or self-reliance or self-confidence, which all goes to this idea of pride. See, pride is thinking that I can do it and I don't need anybody else's help. So when we're talking about this idea of humility, it's closely associated with the idea of dependency. That if I'm going to walk as or walk in abiding, I'm going to walk in surrender, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in dependence, then it's going to demand that my life has humility. Because the moment I think I can do this and God, you can sit this one out and I think I'm totally self-sufficient, that's actually pride. And that's what God stands against. So you and I are called to walk in dependency, which means you and I absolutely have to have humility. I was trying to describe this uh, in a sermon some time ago, and I was trying to wrestle through, okay, what are some of the aspects of dependency? And here's, here's how I described it. There is an attitude of dependency, which is desperation. It's this attitude of, God, I desperately need you. I cannot do this without you. There is an action of dependency, which is responding. In other words, he's initiating, and in faith, I'm saying, yes, that I'm going to respond to your movement in my life. That, that That's the action of dependency. But there is an anchor or a heart, the very center of dependency, which is humility. See, this is, when I see myself in light of God, when, when I see his overwhelming ability and my insufficiency, I cry out and say, God, I need you. But that takes humility. It's not drawing attention to myself. Rather, I want to stoop and draw all the attention to him and walk in this abiding, surrender, dependent relationship with him. So let me give you another of these ideas with humility. It's this idea of confidence. See, some people have this wrong notion that humility is a weakness or humility is a, uh, a quietness or humility is a, well, uh, let people do whatever they want with you, or uh, there's there's no confidence or boldness in humility. But that's actually not true. See, you can actually be confident and bold and yet still walk in humility. For example, in Hebrews chapter 4, we are told, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, which is this idea of boldness or courage, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, when you and I come before the Lord in prayer, we are to come with boldness and confidence, in absolute faith, trusting in the provision of our God. And yet we also recognize that the one to whom we are approaching is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And therefore we must have a fear of the Lord and walk in humility. So it's not that I can't have boldness and confidence apart from humility. It's like one or the other. Rather, it's in the midst of my humility that there is a confidence in my God. There is a boldness in my God. So what would it look like then to pray bold, courageous prayers? What would it look like 
to share the gospel boldly with courage, but yet still walk in grace and humility. That humility still defines my life even as I'm sharing the gospel boldly. That humility still marks my life even while I'm boldly coming to the throne room of grace and prayer. Let me give you one more of these. It's this idea of personality. I don't know about you, but this seems like there's a certain personality that just seems more humble. And there is another kind of personality that's loud and boisterous that doesn't doesn't just seem humble at all. <laughs> the reality is humility is not personality. Uh, I look at this rather quiet, shy person, and it's really easy because they show this quiet shyness to say, oh, they are so humble. But do you realize that the person who is quiet and shy may internally be dealing with a lot of pride and arrogance? See, humility is not what is being demonstrated, though it often will come out in attitudes and behaviors, but the heart of humility is actually an inside thing. So even though you may be shy and you may be quiet, you could still deal with a tremendous amount of pride and arrogance. And on the flip side, if you've ever met someone who is gregarious and loud and big and just, I mean, they are, it's a big personality. It's really easy to look at that person and be like, ah, they're just walking in pride. It's all about themselves. And yet again, it's an inside issue that even though they have a gregarious and a big personality, they actually might be walking in humility. Now, there is a danger on both sides. See, the danger for the, the loud, gregarious person, that kind of a personality, is the fact that it is easy to draw attention to yourself and it is easy to walk in pride. So what would it look like then if God has given you a big personality, a very loud, gregarious lifestyle? Well, what would it look like for that to be marked by humility? that you allow God to use that kind of a personality not to draw the attention to yourself, but rather to turn the gaze back upon the Lord. The danger for the quiet, shy person is that because you are quiet and shy, well, then everyone just assumes that you have this great spiritual humility in your life. When in reality, you may be dealing with some deeper issues of pride and arrogance. So the challenge then is for both individuals to choose humility and realize it's something outside of personality. Yes, one may lean one direction more than the other just in terms of a natural bent, but the reality is, is we are all full of pride and we all need Jesus to deal with our pride issue. If you would like to take a bold challenge, ask God to begin to put his finger on pride in your life. Ask the spirit of God as you're walking through your day saying, God, would you put your finger, would you reveal the areas of pride and arrogance where where I'm looking at a situation from my own perspective or how it's affecting me or, or my own mindset or see pride is all wrapped up in us. It's how it affects my preferences or my time or my whatever. What would it look like to say, Lord, would you point, put your finger on anything in my life that's about me where I'm getting wrapped up in myself and rather, would you give me the grace to choose humility that, that you would allow me to, to stoop and get my face in the ground that is, that is so hard. And I promise you, if you ask God, and I, again, I challenge you, boldly challenge you. If you ask God for those opportunities to say, God, will you put your finger on this? He is so good and gracious to do so. I, I don't know about you, but God is constantly putting his finger on in my life in this area of pride. Say, Nathan, would you choose humility? Nathan, I, I want you in this situation to just, okay, uh, all right, Lord, I, I need you. And you realize, again, dependency and humility are intricately tied. That if you and I are going to walk in humility, it's going to mean, it's going to demand 
that we depend upon the Lord for the grace to walk in humility. So let me ask this question. How do we become humble? As a good friend and mentor of mine said, he said, humility has a fascinating quality. The moment you think you have it is a sure sign that you don't. And isn't that true? It's, it's like God begins to work on your life. And you're like, finally, I am walking in humility. And yet the moment you begin to recognize that, it's actually a good sign that you still have pride. So typically, the one good way that you know that God is working in your life is that you're constantly seeing yourself lower and lower. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. In other words, it's not a diminishment of your life. It's just thinking of yourself less. So in other words, it's not a, oh, I'm a nobody and I'm, I'm, I'm not good for anything and I have no talent and no ability and, oh, it's not that. It's, I'm just not in my mind. I'm not thinking of myself, that I'm actually concerned about the needs and the, the, the people around me. I'm concerned about the glory of God and I'm not concerned about how it affects me. We desperately need to walk in humility. But how do we do that? How, how is it that we walk in this reality of humility? Peter said it this way, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at proper time. There is an interesting reality in this passage where Peter says that you are to humble yourself. And so you could say, okay, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to choose humility. And the difficulty is, is that if you try to kill your own pride, it actually only produces more pride. <laughs> Isn't that miserable? It's, it's like you as a Christian are like, okay, there's, there's these fleshly parts of my life and I want those fleshly parts of my life gone. So in my flesh, I'm going to kill my flesh. But if the flesh tries to kill the flesh, it only produces more flesh, which I think is why crucifixion is such a beautiful picture. When Christ went to the cross, it is the only form of death that I know that you cannot commit suicide by. In other words, someone has to nail you to the cross. Because as it goes, you can get one hand and you can get the feet, but man, you have a doozy of a time trying to get the other hand done. See, someone to be crucified, someone has to nail you. And there's something true about our own flesh that if we're, if we're wanting to get out of pride, if we want God to sanctify us and for us to walk in humility, we can't just grit our teeth and, all right, I'm going to walk in humility. And yet, isn't it interesting? Peter says, humble yourself. So there is an act of the will. There is a decision. And yet what is interesting is in the passage the word humble yourself is actually in the passive tense or the passive voice, which means that you're being acted upon. So think of this as a, as a dual reality. God is going to give you opportunities to humble yourself, which means you've got to come into agreement with that and choose humility. So is it your work or is it his work? Yes, that I need his empowerment. I need his grace to walk in humility. And yet I still have to walk in humility and choose and respond to that reality. So though I am not fully responsible for the humility of my life, I am. Yet I need his grace to bring that about. So let me give you some options or some maybe reminders of how you can choose and walk in humility. I would encourage you to embrace every opportunity that God puts in your way. He's going to give you opportunities. Embrace those opportunities to produce humility. For example, humiliation. Isn't it interesting that humiliation and humility have the same root idea? In other words, when you are humiliated, you're being stripped and you're being brought low, which is this idea of humility. And I do not like humiliation. And yet when you are 
you have those moments of humiliation, those, those baits of like, you want to justify yourself and be like, no, no, no. What would it look like if you just bore it? What, what if you just said, okay, uh, Lord, this is actually an opportunity for me to walk in humility. So I'm going to choose the humility. Or what about correction? None of us like correction, but what if we would embrace the correction or times when we were looked over or when someone else's praise when we should have been included? Or what about those times when you're forgotten or you're somehow associated with an entire group of like the unpopular or the lowly and defined as them, or you're known as just that weird, odd person. Or when you stand up for what is right when no one else is standing. Or the times where you actually want to defend yourself and yet you realize it actually probably doesn't mean a lot. Those times where you're like, I, I want to bring correction so that there's a clarity. A lot of times that's just stemming from pride. See, what if in the moments, the everyday moments of life, we would embrace the opportunities for humility that God places in front of us. And there are a lot of opportunities for humility. So we are, as Peter says, we are to humble ourselves in view of God. And yet we need his grace and his mercy and his empowerment through the spirit of God to even bring that about. I cannot kill pride in my life without the God of the universe doing it in and through my life. And yet I need to be in conjunction, partnering with him, wrapped up in, wrapped up in intimacy with him in this reality of the calling for, for me to actually walk in humility and for pride to die in my life. Maybe one other question. Who are you drawing attention to? See, when, the, when we get to this idea of pride and humility, it really comes back to pride is all about ourselves and our, how it affects our time and our money and our resource and our preferences and our whatever. But what would, if what if we begin to realize the Christian life is not about me? The Christian life is not about my preferences. It's not about what I do or what I get out of it. Rather, this is all about him and his glory and his renown. So what if rather than drawing the attention to myself, what if in those moments when I have, when I want to stand up for what's right, because I'm what's right. Or what if there are those moments where I want to bring clarity or, or, you know, Hey, I, Hey, I was included in this kind of a thing. What if instead of all of that, I wouldn't draw the attention to myself. And I just said, Jesus, would you just take the glory? Lord, could I somehow in my life, just point my life to you? See, I don't want to draw attention to myself. I want my life to draw attention to Christ. And I just thought it'd be kind of fun to end this particular study with a quote from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray's written an incredible book called Humility. It's a little tiny book, and yet it packs a punch. I mean, it's one of those books that I read every single year, and every single year it kicks me in the teeth. But listen to what Andrew Murray said. Murray says, Humility begins and finds its strength in the knowledge that it is God who works all in all. That our place is to yield to him in perfect resignation and dependence, in full consent to be and to do nothing of ourselves. Would you do that? Would you realize this is not about you? This is all about him. So I'm going to walk in this surrender, abiding, dependent relationship with him. And in so doing, I'm not, it's not going to be about me. I'm going to stoop, get my face in the dirt and let him be seen and glorified. Would you choose humility today? Would you realize that God came and he walked a humble life and so there's no reason why you and I can't do the same. Yes, we need him. We need his strength, his resource, his ability to do it. But oh, what an amazing reality when, as Oswald Chambers says, oh, we are bathed 
in humility. Well, no, I'm praying for you and I'm cheering you on. I'm so excited for the fact that you and I actually get to walk and be marked in this generation as men and women of God with humility. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.